Well, hey, Internet, we're back after about a five-week hiatus or so, if you're following us as we go. Uh, we've got Kent and Chris, and we've got a, a new thing. We've got somebody actually contributing with us tonight in Joe for Kenter at Your Own Risk, number 21, episode 21, uh, the top 10 best 90s horror movies. How are you guys doing? Good here. Um, top ten. <laughs> well, our list, our top ten lists are like top tens, and Kent's like a top sixty-seven. So, sure, sure. I tried to keep mine nice and short. I appreciate that because I get a little long-winded. Also, since I didn't note it before, Joe, make sure to definitely hit mute when you're not talking. I know we already went over this, but that makes my editing a little easier. <laughs> That's what I had to offer. Yay. Well, it's good to hear that you're doing so well. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but um like shit down here is getting crazy. I think Yeah, how, how is Florida? Passed, I think it's passed by every other state to be the number one epicenter of coronavirus probably in the world at this point. Yep. Sitting here in New York feeling pretty damn good. <sighs> sister is moving there and it's absolutely terrifying to the rest of us yeah i mean you have parts where it's not too bad because you have so many expatriate new yorkers new jersey people but at the same time you have people who live down here and like i was reading an article in the paper the other day and they're like i don't understand why they want me to wear a mask in public so i don't i don't know you know, at least, like, local government has changed their stance. And, you know, like, they just issued, like, a, a mask anywhere you go now compared to our governor who's like, oh, yeah, no, Trump says it's fine. We don't need anything. That might be a little more political than I typically get when I'm talking here with you guys. But, um, you know, I had a couple buddies come down with it. They're back. They're, they're better. They've recovered. They're back at work. Uh, some of my family members have gotten it. Those they were actually up in New York, but uh, they seem to be doing okay. So, you know, I just hope everybody who listens and everybody who, you know, is in our inner circle stays safe. I'm eating raspberries. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a crazy world we're living in right now, so good time to to listen to some podcasts. Yeah, actually, my buddy just canceled his, uh, well, not canceled, postponed his wedding until next October of 2021. And you know what? That's great because I was the best man and I didn't have shit for a speech yet. And quite frankly, you realize how nice a wedding in October is compared to September when you're a big, fat, sweaty bastard? It's pretty fucking sweet. Just throwing I, that out there. I personally enjoy October as a month. I think it's the best one out of the year. But I'm biased. So. And why is that, Chris? Why are you biased? Because my birthday's a week before Halloween, well, a week and two days before Halloween. Joe, what's your favorite month? Sorry, I missed that what's one. What's your favorite month? My favorite month? I don't know. October is up there because Halloween is definitely one of my favorite holidays, and I generally make it a multi-month affair kind of culminating in October. But uh, I don't know, kind of... Kind of like uh, summer when it's not too hot and sweaty yet, because uh, get outside and do a few things. Teaching teaching the kid to ride a bike, very exciting times. Fair enough. 
I'm an October guy myself. Halloween, of course I am. All right. Well, we good to start we, this? Before oh. we get into it, I think we need to throw a shout out to Eric Blowers. And why is that? Because he was basically the catalyst for all of us to have met each other and you, through you. So, uh, Eric, if you ever listen to this, thanks, buddy. You're still a nerd. Good job, Eric. Way to go. Carrie, I still miss you. Fuck you, Eric. Yeah, you definitely married up, Eric. Yeah. Way up. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Good Good. Good choice in the shout-out. Did anybody do any uh, movie watching in, in prep for this? Because I, I did once. Uh, I watched Jurassic Park with my son... Mostly because he needed to see Jurassic Park, but I definitely think that's not on my list, but it's up there in terms of 90s, you know, horror movies. I haven't watched any, I didn't watch anything on the list. I have watched a couple modern things, but like, off the top of my head, I can't think of what, what they are now. Like, after the last time we talked, had I, had I watched Behind the Mask and Let Us Pray? Oh. If, let's if, let's talk about that in the later segment as we usually do because I'm I got a few movies I want to talk about too. Yeah, if if I hadn't talked with you about it last month, then I've watched them since then. Right. All right. Cool. I'm excited. I I watched In the Mouth of Madness today, so I knew that was going to get discussed today. So I really wanted to, uh, yeah, contribute. Oh, oh, it's right up there. Okay. Well, if we want to jump in this, let's let's let our New guy, go first. Joe, if you wanted, I don't know if you have any honorable mentions or if you want to just jump into your, your top ten, but you can get into as much or as little detail as you want for why you picked what you picked. And start from ten. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, even ahead of the list, it was, it was kind of interesting going over things because the 90s gets kind of a bad rap as far as horror goes. And you even see that on horror sites and blogs and podcasts that it was kind of a wasteland. But, you know, when I was going over it, there was, there was a lot of, you know, good horror comedy, a lot of stuff I wouldn't call horror, but that was sort of like fun action stuff with horror themes like the mummy and blade. And, uh, a lot of deconstructionist meta horror, which, you know, Kent knows this. I'm, I'm a huge nerd. I love contextualizing stuff and, and getting into sort of the meaning behind the meaning of stuff. So that, that really was a big high point of reviewing these films is that there were sort of a lot of great horror movies that were about horror movies in that, that nineties window. So the, the first movie on my list is actually one of those sort of meta horror movies as, as Kent just mentioned, it's mouth of madness where you kind of have this whole theme of, of, uh, how much power a writer has and, uh, what you know what the nature of reality is as far as literature and fiction go and of course it's done all in a way that you could just ignore all that and just have fun with it as a good horror story and of course the bad guys is a great like stephen king hp lovecraft mashup and so you get a lot of like he's got you it all takes place in this you know fictional becoming real town that has a lot of kind of Castle Rock or Arkham, Massachusetts feel to it. So 
again, it's it's really kind of a treat for people who are into that sort of horror and into that sort of literature. And it's it's got the meta contextual thing on top of that of of uh, how how reality is shaped by a writer. I just have one question. Yes. Have you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> Unfortunately not. I, I wish it was real. I'm sure it would be great. That's a, that's a good pick. It's a good movie. I remember it being one of the first like Lovecraft mythos type stories that I ever saw when I was growing up. And uh, that scene where he's fleeing from you know all the elder things, running down the, the hallway to, to leave, uh, still is one of the best visual representations I've seen of a lot of those creatures uh, on screen. In addition, you know, like, I, know, I don't remember seeing Sam Neill really before Jurassic Park, but I wasn't super impressed with him in Jurassic Park. I really liked him in this, and uh, I've always liked Jurgen Prochnow in everything I've ever seen him in, so good choice. Yeah, uh, I watched it for the, f- not the first time today, like, I watched it before, but I'm pretty sure I fell asleep, and it was a while ago, so I need the refresher course. I enjoyed it. Uh, Sam Neill. I mean, I have a feeling at some point between the three of us, Sam Neill will come up again in another great 90s movie. With that being said, he's a solid lead. Um, and, you know, the the girl in it, she was practically like 40. And she she looked like 10 years younger. I was kind of shocked when I looked up her, her date of birth. Uh, uh, I don't know. She, I, I thought she looked younger at least. Um... I I liked it. I, I liked it. And oddly enough, it, it still doesn't even crack my top whatever number I have. But I enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to buying it. So, thumbs up. It's fun to hear Joe talk about shit in a way that, you know, my illiterate ass don't ever talk about. My other question would be, is this the last good John Carpenter movie before he really started to go downhill? Whoa. That's offensive. He did he, he did Vampires and he did Cigarette Burns, which you may or may not call a full movie, but Vampires at the very fucking least. Burns is just so so good. And I, I have to I have to give a contrary opinion. I don't want to drag this into a Jurassic Park discussion, but having just watched Jurassic Park as a a parent who is was originally awkward dealing with kids. It's kind of fun seeing him capture that very well. Like the first time little girl grabs his hand, his expression is perfect. I, I love Sam Neill. So, you know, he's, he's in at least one other movie that may show up on these lists. So I'll, I'll, I'll be waiting for that. All right. Well, that sounds like a decent start for us. We're hitting it off with like intellectualism that Kent and I typically don't discuss. Uh, What's your number nine? I'm going backwards. I'm sorry. I should have should have. Uh, okay. What's your number two? This list. My my number two is another meta meta contextual thing. Is Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and of course Wes Craven went on to do a whole series of of you know meta meta horror, but New Nightmare certainly went further than uh, Scream did. 
I mean, it had the, again, a similar theme of, of sort of creation and reality, but it also, again, was just a good scary movie. I will say as, as a parent who has had like problems with institutional authorities, as well as who has a kid who occasionally has night terrors, that definitely the movie, I, I almost had to turn it off, not because it was bad, but because it was like really getting to me. And they captured that very well, just like how terrifying it is to not be able to control or contact with something that is terrifying or possibly even harming your child. And of course, on a separate note, to run into an authority figure who sort of wants to separate you from your child in some way or reduce your ability to deal with their problems. So it, it sort of hit me on two levels. It, it again had that meta contextual sort of like, Oh, Hey, you know, um, what if our, our interaction with the horror creates the horror and it had, had the whole like, wow, they, they really dialed into what parents are genuinely terrified of. And I, I have to say, um, uh, having the star come back in that fashion again as sort of like the actress and the character and the victim was was very cool and she definitely had the chops to keep up with it which was pretty awesome as well and and even having you know west west craven sort of taking the the man behind freddie and having him appear in the movie as as himself and doing such a job of being such a charming, like sweet, likable guy and the contrast between that and, and Freddie, the nightmare. I thought that was really something that knocked it out of the park. So it was just, it was a good, scary movie. It had some interesting intellectual backbone to it. And it really hit parents below the belt in a good way, in a way that I don't think anybody else has really handled Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, that was that. That was one of the first things that we did on the blog when we started. When you started asking for contributors, was that like the third one, maybe? Yeah, it was. It was definitely one of the early on ones. Uh, just because I didn't want to go with the original, you know, I wanted yeah. I wanted the opinion on something that was really new at the time. I mean, I I remember watching it when it came out. And I, for whatever reason, it didn't resonate with me much. Like, I, I have a feeling that it was, like, probably one of those times where I watched it while I was, like, making out with a girlfriend or something. So, uh, you know, you can probably forgive me for that. Brag. <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it when we went back and, and hit it up again later on. Uh, yeah, like you said, it was probably one of the first really meta horror movies that I remember, you know, suggesting, like you said, do we create the, uh, the monsters with our imagination? And, um, yeah, it was cool to see like Wes and Robert Englund and Heather Langenkamp playing themselves in addition to their characters. And she was hot. I'm not going to, I don't know what it was, but between the first one and when she grew up into that, I was like, damn, she looks good. As did Julie, but yeah, Heather really, you know, Heather looked so tired in part three that I think this was refreshing to see her like this. Just, yeah, felt felt right. And it had some really cool 
kills too, which I appreciate. Oh, the opening scene was fantastic. The the ha- mechanical hand attacking people like that shit was cool. Uh, there, there's a lot of cool visual scenes that. They explored like the highway scene, probably about the two-third mark. You know, the whole finale, like the the settings were, were really well done. I, I liked that. You know, in every nightmare, they've always had cool settings, uh, but it was always like you know the house by and large. And this time, they really just kind of explored what else Freddy could be uh, in, involved in, and. I mean, I, I saw it in the theater. I, I loved it. I read the book. I, I think I've mentioned the book every time that we talk about this, but if you really like this movie, go find a really cheap used copy of the book, and it's really short, and you're going to have a really good time. You could possibly, you could probably read it in a day, no problem. That's my contribution. <laughs> Sorry. Awesome. Just, just a riff on that, on that. Uh, concept of the set pieces as much i'm one of the few people who actually liked like the the tail end three four uh excuse me four five and six freddy movies and a lot of people didn't like them because they were basically at that point just like pure comedy and aesthetics but i did like them but i i have to say it was nice to see freddy back to being something that was just mostly scary and nasty it was it was uh good to get back to what made the first few movies scary and away from sort of the uh, character that they parodied in um, Rick and Morty. Ah, uh, scary Terry. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this part four is always going to be criminally underrated. It, I, and it's only because they shift made that shift, but still the movie's criminally underrated despite the shift in from Horde horror comedy if you will I, I don't know I always feel that part 4 doesn't get enough love could have some commentary on part 4 but I'll, I'll save it when we're discussing that movie fair enough alright what do you got for uh, number 3 I'm used to doing it the other way I'm thrown off <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sorry. I, it's just the way I wrote it down. So number three, oddly enough, even though it's high on my list, I, I have the least to say about this movie, even though I loved it, which is Stir of Echoes. And I love it. I feel like The Sixth Sense got so much hype and credit at the time. And this was a movie, not on the same thing, but on a similar subject that I thought was just a better movie. I feel like The Sixth Sense, it's just one of those movies where without the twist, it's like half the movie, you know, it's not like psycho. Like we all know the twist to psycho, but if you go watch psycho, it's still an amazing movie. Whereas if I go back and watch six Sense again, I I don't feel like it's as strong a movie once you know the twist. So stir of echoes, I just, I thought it was really good and was really overshadowed at the time. And of course the main thing that made it so great was Kevin Bacon. And he was just so into his character and his character was just sort of slowly, going nuts but in this like understandable nice way I, my favorite scene in that is there's a scene where he's dug holes in the entire backyard and his wife comes up to him and she goes what are you doing and he just looks at her and he says digging and then the little boy is back there and he's digging with his like little toy shovel and she goes what is he doing and he goes helping and then he gives her this conspiratorial look and he's like 
but don't worry, it's not over there. And, you know, like whatever he's looking for is something bad, but just, you know, the way he's like, hey, it's no big deal. It'll be all right. I, I just loved his sort of understated character in that. And uh, I liked the story. It was it was a good, scary ghost story that was actually pretty kind of simple. It didn't get as complex as a lot of ghost stories do. And I think that's a good thing to have sometimes. Yeah, I love that movie. It's on my list. I'll, I'll touch up on it when I get there. But yeah, you said a lot of what makes it hit for me. Yeah, it's very, very high. I, I would go so far. I'll say this without giving away my list. I'll say it was, when I went back and looked at my blogs, it was the highest rated, highest rating I gave a film for 90s horror. That doesn't mean it's my number one. I'm just saying it was my highest rated. And, you know, Eric and I, we used to talk about Sixth Sense because we saw Sixth Sense in the theater. And we were just deeply disappointed in, in that awfulness to the point where, you know, after seeing Stir of Echoes, it was like, yeah, Stir of Echoes was everything that Sixth Sense wish it would be. Except Stir of Echoes doesn't get any talk. And everybody still remembers Sixth Sense for some inane reason. Baffles me. But Kevin Bacon owned it. Kevin Dunn, awesome, and I don't know how to pronounce her name, but Catherine Irby? Yep, Kathy Irby. God, she is. She's a treat. And obviously, like, there's the one really good jump scare that I love in that movie. Um, I think he's, like, sitting on the couch and Ghost Girl just shows up. Awesome. Love it. I, had, I love the music, too. Like, Ah, paint it black. The way, the way, yeah, the way they played with the painted black to, you know, when him trying to figure out what the hell he was hearing. And all the orange juice. And, and the digging scene, as Joe said, the digging scene is just, it's, it's just a perfect scene, really. It has, like, that perfect kind of horror charm, but, you know, you can also kind of giggle at it. It was really, ah, really under... I think it's criminally underrated. I'll, I'll go that far. Oh, he has a 7 on on IMDb. It should I be think, at least higher, right? I think one of the best things about it, too, is really... I mean, if you look, it's really not too much of a horror movie. But the first time you're watching it, you don't realize that at all. Because they do a really good job with the tension and the atmosphere and keeping everything hidden from you. Yeah. They, I don't want to get too nerdy on you, but... but uh, it, it reminds me, it's kind of a throwback to the older, simpler, like half psychological, half ghost story that you get like the haunting of Hill House, where it really is a very simple story that you can get into. And it's a lot about the character almost as much as it's about the haunting. Like I said, it's, it's hard for me to say a lot about it, but it's just so up there for me because it just, it gets the feeling right. Like, like you mentioned, like the orange juice, there's all these like little things that are half comedic, but they're also like, they show you something's really wrong and you don't know if the character has a screw loose or if something really bad is going to happen. And, and it really, it's got that nice place in between psychological and ghost story horror. I just want to add, I don't know how to pronounce her first name, Alina or Eilina Douglas, the, the sister Lisa. I really liked her too in this. She, she, I mean, she didn't have a huge, like she wasn't on screen a ton, but her role was huge and she nailed it really well. Really liked it, that performance. 
Yeah, I think what it boils down to is it was written, the original story was written by Richard Matheson, who's done a, a bunch of, you know, incredible friggin' stories and books and shit. So, I mean, uh, like, just off the top of my head, a bunch of the Twilight Zone episodes, What Dreams May Come, Stir of Echoes, I Am Legend... So, I mean, all over the place, but, you know, like having somebody, well, I guess having a strong basis to translate the screenplay, you know, is probably what made it succeed. I agree with that. Yeah, and and it was, I know the original novel that uh, um, Damon Knight hated it, so it must be good because Damon Knight was kind of a jerk. Um, but, uh, that was part of it. You you also left off that he did Trilogy of Terror, which is a true classic. Why am I seeing something on IMDb that says Kevin Bacon says he'll, he'd be down to play the next Freddy Krueger? Is it, is anybody good with that? Like, I'm not opposed to it. Like, I'm intrigued actually. Do it. Uh, yeah, it would be an interesting take. I mean, he's he's already played a pedophile, so... Yeah, I mean, I mean he's a known quantity that... I don't know, maybe that would be the spark that the franchise needs to come back? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm willing to give it a shot because I miss Freddy, and somehow this was a nice way to talk about Freddy and Kevin Bacon, so bridging the gap. <laughs> okay <laughs> moving on the next one on my list is is probably not that controversial but it's it's probably a certain set of us who are in the right place at the right time is is the ring or ringu or whatever you want to call it but the original japanese movie not the remake although i thought the remake did a, a decent job it was kind of interesting because it's very Japanese in a lot of ways, like even her thing of, of writing her memories and ideas onto the tape. It's a, there's a Japanese concept called Nensha, which is like their equivalent of bending spoons. It's basically psychic people can write images directly onto photographic plates in, in sort of Japanese myth of what a psychic person can do, just like we assume every psychic person can bend spoons. And so that was really integrated into the story, but somehow it works really well, even if you don't know the Japanese kind of mindset and myth behind the story. It's actually a story by uh, Koji Suzuki, who is basically the Japanese equivalent of Stephen King. And apparently the, it's like three books. And by the third book, the story just goes totally off the rails and is totally crazy and weird. But I liked it because it was just, it was a nice grim story. And that, and something you see later with Juwan that is really great about some of the Japanese horror stories. It, it doesn't really have a happy ending and the heroes don't win. And that's, that's half of what makes it so scary is that you have this thing that's, that's awful and bad and it's, it's not going to go away. You know, not like, in a Western movie where they win and then in the sequel, Jason or Freddy or whoever actually turns out he's fine and he comes back and kills everybody. It's like they actually know at the end of the movie that like 
this isn't great and uh, they haven't really made much of a difference. That sort of nihilistic, almost loss at the end really makes a huge difference for me and shows me a different side of horror that's really common in, in J-horror that we don't really see as much over here. Unfortunately, I don't have much to add for that since I haven't seen the original. I don't doubt it would make my list if I did because the remake scared the shit out of me. So, uh, I meant to watch this today because I really... I'm, I'm, the Ring is probably a top five uh, horror movie for me. Um, and I'm going into Ringu, you know trying to lower my expectations because you know your first impression like i've already seen seen one version now going you know it's like hearing a song for the first time even if it's not by the original artist sometimes you just the first thing you see or hear is what you remember most fondly i just didn't get around to it today but i i do want to see it because i i love the story of it but joe as i'm listening to you talk all I could think of is our most favorite thing to say while playing Fantasy Star Online to Japan. That's why I have. It's funny for me because I've gotten into uh, Junji Ito a lot recently and I've actually gotten uh, Koji Suzuki's short story book, Dark Water. And it really is like, it's not just that he's Stephen King in name. He has a very similar style to Stephen King. When you read his short stories, they're not all necessarily horror or just straight horror, and they really feel very Stephen King. But one thing I have to say, in that sort of corner of J-horror, like the Juwan, Grudge, um, Ringu Ring, and and a lot of the um, sort of really dark horror, you have a little less of that, of that world that isn't always, uh, you know, is sometimes filled with, like, schoolgirls and stuff like that. I mean, you have schoolgirls, but they're going to get murdered and it'll be depressing. Um, so, and I agree with you guys. I really, I loved the remake. I thought the remake was, was absolutely wonderful. And, um, they really kept the heart of the story and the sort of nihilism of the story. And I, I think that's, that's really what makes, you know, Juwan, of course, is till the 2000s, but Juwan even takes it a step for, further where it's even more nihilistic, where they aren't even like beginning to to have a chance at dealing with this supernatural thing. But this one was was sort of the first time people in the West kind of saw a, a ghost story where, you know, some ghost stories have sad endings where not all the heroes make it or they have to sacrifice themselves to stop the evil. But it's very rare you have a story where it's like, yeah, you guys didn't really stop anything. Even if you survived, it's this is out there and and the world is screwed. So it was it was nice to see something that nihilistic uh in a way. Joe, help me out here. When I was doing research today, um I looked up Ringu and I was on Wikipedia. And I see that there's like I don't know if it was Rosin or I think it's R A S E N and then there's Ringu 2. Are they the two same two things, or are they two completely different stories? Well, since I've watched any of the sequels or the prequel, 
Um, but I will tell you, uh, there are definitely two sequels that split off in different directions, and that's even a different direction than the weird direction the book goes. But I will also say that just don't spend a lot of time on it. They're not great. They're not awful. They're just kind of there. Uh, they go more into her backstory. And, you know, as you know, even from, from Western horror, sometimes going into the backstory too much is, is just uninteresting or unproductive. Uh, so they're, I wouldn't say don't watch them, but I wouldn't say go out of your way to watch them. See how you feel about the first movie and, you know, Jew on, I would say the grudge movies, you kind of want to watch at least the first three. And, uh, they, it's actually kind of funny that movie, even the American movie they made wasn't a remake. It was actually kind of a sequel to the existing grudge movies, but, uh, I, I wouldn't spend a lot of time on those sequels. On a side note, Chris, have we ever done a podcast about foreign horror? We have not done one specifically for foreign horror. Okay. Just a thought. That was one of the ones we brought up about when we were talking about what we were going to do for this year. And we just, we just keep pushing it off. Do we have something for next month? I thought next month was going to be the Evil Within stuff. Okay. Solid. Moving on. All right. The uh, next item on my list will be probably the least controversial item on the list, which is Candyman. It's just a good, solid horror movie. It's a take on the Bloody Mary myth, but they do a really good job building a nice backstory that's tied into sort of uniquely American racial history that was not in the original Clive Barker story. It's it's kind of funny because it's one of those things that has the Clive Barker association, the name on it, but the actual finished movie is very much its own entity and, and only sort of borrows the loosest plot from the actual Clive Barker story. It's really, you know, it's a good early story on, I shouldn't say early. I mean, obviously we've had racism for a long time, but it's a good story dealing with racism in a way that a lot of horror movies hadn't yet done. And it was just a good horror movie. And it, it dealt with a good myth that everybody knows and grasps and can understand within our culture. Everybody's have some variation of the bloody Mary thing pushed on them in high school or college. And, um, it just, uh, uh, Tony Todd, all I have to say is Tony Todd. I don't think I have to be more descriptive than that. We all know how good he was in that role and how perfect he was for that role. And uh, just what a great tragic backstory they put on that. And I, I think that's actually something that's really kind of, you see in a lot of sort of classical gothic horror stories and stuff like that, is that the, the villain, they're the villain, but you are, you are sympathetic towards them. You understand that they have their pains and how things ended up like this. That doesn't really excuse their actions, but it definitely sort of, you can understand how things got this far and how they ended up the monster that they are. Great, great point. Um, yeah, it's sometimes tough, and Kent and I have had to talk about this, um, to root for a lot of the iconic horror villains outside of, you know, by the time you're hitting, like, the sixth one in a series, you know, that's that's who you're there for but you know they're they're bad guys 
and a lot of them don't have that sympathetic edge to them that Candyman does. And uh, again, this was another movie that when when I saw it when I was a teenager scared the shit out of me. I still won't say Candyman into a mirror, <laughs> especially when I'm by myself in a dark bathroom. And isn't that the everlasting effect of Candyman? Uh, the fact that when you first see Candyman, the first time you go to the bathroom, you're alone. There's a mirror. You're washing your hands. And, you know, you're not thinking Candyman's coming after you. But deep in the recesses of your mind, it's there. It's there. Especially if you're younger, it's really there. And I mean, this came out in the Nine Deuce. So... Uh, I mean, I was I was 11 or 12 when I first saw this. I'm guessing you guys were around the same age uh, when it came out, right? What year was it? Older, but yeah, yeah, pretty much high school. Came out in '92, Chris. Uh, yeah, it would have been 13 or 14. Okay, so you guys are both older than me. Wow, I'm the youngin'. Cool. Um. I mean, I have plenty more to say, but I will, like, as Joe said, just the the mythos of Candyman, his beginnings and stuff, was so really well done, and <sighs> I don't I don't know how to say this eloquently, but goddamn, one of the biggest tragedies of COVID, outside of all the sickness and death, is the fact that I'm still sitting here waiting on goddamn Candyman, like. That's probably the most selfish thing I can say right now, but I am really freaking just can't wait for Candyman to come out. That's what I have to offer right now. <laughs> you can complain about the little things as well as the big things, man. It's okay. I feel, I, you know, we need a little levity, right? Like, I mean, we, we, we can look at big things, little things, you know? That, that's... Uh, God and and Virginia Madsen, Michael Madsen's sister. She she's the lead. She's awesome as hell in this, and it's a shame. Like, she, I know she's been in other stuff, but I don't think she was ever as good in anything as she was in Candyman. No, it's definitely a role she shined in. And uh, one of the things that has me looking forward to the the new one is that it's not like a, a reboot. You know, it's. You know, I don't want to say reimagining, but you know they're adding on to what's already come before instead of starting over from scratch. And I appreciate that, and I appreciate that they brought back Double T Tony Todd. Very excited. I, I love that man. Can't get enough Tony Todd. Really can't. He was Absolutely maybe great. the best and only good thing about Beastmaster Three. <laughs> that's that's a deep cut. <laughs> Wow. I, I was also going to say, Ken, in in relation to what you were saying about we need we need something else. I, I do I do find that after you know having some some recent things in my life that I found that horror is a very good coping mechanism sometimes for for you know hopelessness or tragedy and and that's what we've got right now. So there's no reason to to beat yourself up over thinking it's selfish that you want to see a movie, man. I mean, Joe, I'm a pretty awful person. So, I'm okay either way. With that being said, what are we on? Are we, well, are we on four, five, six? We're, we're on the sixth movie, and this is, oh, this is an odd fit in this list, even though it is Clive Barker. Um, 
it's Lord of Illusions. And uh, it's so Lord of Illusions is kind of interesting in that if you are a regular Clive Barker reader, you kind of know and love the main character of this story. They he's basically somebody who's in a lot of Clive Barker stories. He's basically a film noir detective guy almost who's always in over his head. Like he lives in this world with horrible dark magic. He learns one or two tricks here and there, but he's never one of the heavy hitters and he's always sort of trying to get the story to its conclusion, trying to, trying to get the, you know, evil locked up without, uh, really having the power to do so. So he really has to egg on people who do have the power, which is, is kind of what happens in this movie. It's, it's basically a movie where he's just so outclassed that all he can really do is eventually is run away and then eventually sort of get the right person to step in and actually take action. It, yeah, I, I like Scott Bakula a lot. So it was nice seeing him in that role. But I think, uh, beyond that, it was, it was kind of interesting seeing this sort of character and you, you see them a lot in horror fiction, but not quite as often in movies, people who are actually, you know, live in this world. Um, and it is, it's sort of borderline horror because the character sort of knows what's going on. It, it's almost like urban fantasy or whatever you'd call it, because it's, it's the story of a guy living in a magical world, but it's a magical world that sucks really bad and everybody could die really horribly. So I think it stays comfortably in horror and the bad guy is nasty and gross enough that, that it's, I, I think he, he really was a great villain. You really had a great hero in Scott Bakula. Um, I believe it's Famke Jansen is in that. She's terrific. And then, of course, the the guy who really is the, the good guy heavy hitter is this conflicted and weird person. And he he's kind of an interesting character all in of itself. So I thought it was a, a good, like, sort of dark black magic story with this character who knows how to get things done, but is, is at least in terms of actual ability to, to cause those things to happen is, is pretty powerless. I've never seen this movie. I've completely dismissed the movie. I've never really heard anything very positive. You're the first person to tell me about it. Uh, I don't have much to add to it other than now I want to give it a shot. And there's another celebrity, very minor celebrity in this, but Katie Sagal or Katie Seagal, Peg Bundy, her sister is also in this. McNally Seagal. She was in uh, Sons of Anarchy briefly, and she was in The Negotiator. And Vincent Schiavelli also in this. And, I mean, who doesn't love that dude? Decent cast. Like, Lord, it, oh, go ahead. It, 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 Joe, like, can you compare it to anything else, like, just for comparison's sakes, for people that, like me, that may have never seen it? And again, I may be biased, because again, I know and love this character from the Clive Barker books, because I know, I know the reviews to this are, are basically fairly middling to average. I, I don't think, in general, people hated it, but they didn't really love it either. But it's kind of, I, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, the non-horror character of, like, Harry Dresden, or... Um, 
I'm trying to think who else there is, but it's it's sort of urban fantasy in that, you know, you have this world where magic exists, both sort of good and evil, and the main character is immersed in that world and knows it. But but really what makes it horror is, is A, his level of powerlessness, and B, the fact that the magic tends toward the side of, of uh, destroying the world or murdering everybody in a nasty way. Uh, so it might not feel like pure horror when you're watching it. it, it People might question my judgment on that. But, you know, like I said, the 90s is definitely the era where we had these horror-adjacent movies like The Mummy or Army of Darkness or, um, you know, uh, Blade. You know, even Dust Till Dawn is sort of, it's not, you're not really scared in Dust Till Dawn. It's it's really a movie that's sort of a an action comedy with a horror theme to it. Fair enough. Thank you. I would say, like, a lot of the problems that people had with Lord of Illusions was because it came at, like, the back end of, in my opinion, most of Clive Barker's better 90s stuff. And uh, I think the biggest problem it had with it wasn't the story or the actor. It was the budget. Was it a low budget? Not necessarily low budget, but it was definitely one, I think, where the intention uh, didn't have the, the money to back it up. Yeah, I can I can kind of see that, especially with kind of the cosmic level horror that the bad guy's supposed to represent. And he's, he's really just more gross and, and vile than uh, you really buy into him destroying the world. I would also say that, except for Nightbreed, I'd say this varies more from straight horror than most of the Clive Barker work up until that time. I'd say Night Nightbreed veers off in a totally different direction that is also possibly what you would call urban fantasy, but there it's definitely I, I can see where people expecting to, you know, have have some torture porn or or uh something like that might be a little disappointed in the film. I'm just learning that Clive Barker was involved in the Motorhead music video for the song Hellraiser. And I like that song, so pleasantly pleased when I can just scour through IMDb while other people are talking. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a deep cut right there. First cut is the deepest. Unless it's sung by Rod Stewart. Just throwing that out there. And you just dated us all. Thanks a lot, Kat. Now the millennials aren't going to listen to us anymore. Well, in all fairness, I had to look this up while watching Seven Psychopaths last month with two of my friends. Uh, one of my friends was like, well, didn't Cat Stevens perform at first? And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it was P.P. P. Arnold. And it was P.P. P. Arnold. Cat Stevens wrote it, and then after it was a success, he quickly released his own version. And then Rod Stewart came along later and did what Rod Stewart does to songs. So clearly I'm not a Rod Stewart fan, and he bumps me out with his version of a song that I really enjoy. I don't even know how I got involved in this conversation. I'm going to shut up now. Or you just stay forever young, Kent. Chris, have I ever told you how much I love you? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) 
let's uh, let's move on to the next on my list. Uh, this is another one of those ones that you know may or may not feel true horror, depending on how you define horror. But Army of Darkness, which I just mentioned, just in many ways sort of an action comedy movie, but it's obviously just filled with horror themes and apocalyptic themes, and you know your hero is unquestionably kind of an idiot a lovable idiot, a wonderful idiot, but definitely an idiot. Um, I did not come into Evil Dead until after I saw Army of Darkness. So it it was kind of interesting because it's it's just, other than having the same main character, it's, it's just barely connected. It's this goofy... You know, taking horror themes, making sci-fi jokes like Klaatu, Verato, Nikdio, and uh, just running with those. I I don't know anybody was really scared by this movie. So again, we may be we may be brushing the edges of what's truly horror, but it was just a lot of fun. Um, okay, Bruce Campbell, amazing and a lot of fun. I have a quick question. And, uh, you mentioned the loose connectivity between like Evil Dead One Two to Army of Darkness. Now, here's my question for you: Was there less of a connection between, say, Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness, or Blair Witch and Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two? I want to see Book of Shadows, even though I've never, I've heard at best that it was like okay to watch. I have not actually seen Book of Shadows, so I can't I can't really answer that. I do know Army of Darkness 2, or excuse me, Evil Dead 2 is basically not a sequel to Evil Dead 1. It's just the first movie reshot. But I would say that the connection between Evil Dead 2, which was probably still more on the horror side of horror comedy than Army of Darkness, at least. The, the connection between that and Army of Darkness is literally that they just upended the character from that movie and threw him into a different movie, which still had the Necronomicon Ex Mortis in it, but otherwise was was a fairly different affair. Thank you. I mean, uh, a lot of the bumps in the uh, Evil Dead trilogy happened because of the rights and stuff, so. I really didn't mean to interrupt you, Joe, but I have such a horrible memory, I was not going to remember to ask that question two minutes later. I actually did not cause any severe problems there. I, uh, I, I'm I pretty much uh, done with my opening spiel on that one. Also, you said that Ash wasn't smart, but, I mean, come on, he was s Burnt. So, gotta give him a little credit, right? A lot, a lot of credit. I mean, it's like Ash versus Evil Dead. It's, it's a great series, and he's clearly the hero that the world needs. But he's, he's Ash, man. You know. I would say he's less the hero that the world needs, and more the hero that the world deserves. <laughs> he's the he's the hero I want. I'm I'm good with that. Also, didn't they make a video game? None of them were good. I I enjoyed them. I mean, I remember there was what? Hail to the Chief, A Fistful of Boomstick, uh, maybe another one after that. We we did get the excellent ad where he was, where the guy got hedge clippers put on his arm and 
Bruce Campbell was chasing him at the end of the ad. That was a great ad. I don't know if that justifies the existence of the games because I'm not on the same page with you on those games. But, but we did get a few games out of these movies, yeah. Solid. Maybe groovy. Ooh, very groovy. I can dig it. All right. What are we at, number okay. eight? We are at number eight here, and this is, uh, I'm going with Hocus Pocus for this one. I have a soft spot for kids' horror stuff. I mean, especially now I'm, I'm trying to train up a child in the love of horror, and there's a lot of good kids horror out there, but I thought, I thought Hocus Pocus did a really good job of balancing sort of humor stuff that was genuinely scary for kids, uh, or sort of obsession, the classic obsession with Salem and witches, although Salem's only in about like five minutes of the movie. So the rest of it's probably a back lot in Ontario somewhere or something like that. Um, but, uh, you know, you had some really, amusing good screen filling villains uh kathy najimi um bet midler and um they you know this sort of trio of people who could really chew the scenery and they they're funny but they're also they really are scary they're going to do horrible things to children you have sarah jessica parker you know uh, doing doing her thing that she does best and uh the kids who were in it were were pretty adorable and did did good jobs with their roles so i was kind of kind of impressed that they they were able to blend things that were you know fairly horrifying for children i mean a little girl like pretty much dies straight at the start of the movie so it's it's uh i i was actually a little worried about like what what little kids would react to it. But again, it's, it's filled with enough like funny stuff that they can kind of enjoy the movie as well. And it has, and I cannot find this like legally anywhere, but it has just that great, great version with Bette Midler singing. I'll put a spell on you, which should be part of every Halloween playlist. I've never seen it. I have nothing to contribute. I I don't. It's it's not a bad movie. I don't know if I would throw it on a horror list, but I'm not going to you know tell anybody else what to do. But like if I was talking about like a scary youthful horror movie based around uh, witches, I would probably go with witches over this one. Uh, I just rewatched it recently with my son, and um, a lot of it is aged incredibly well. You know, like you, the witches, Kathy Najimy, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Bette Midler, like, chew the hell out of the scenery, and you can tell that they had a really good time making it, which is good, because I think the three of them are on board to come back for the sequel that they're doing, what, like, 30 years later? Uh, but the the main kid, I forgot what his name was, Omri something, maybe? He is horrible. <laughs> Omri Katz. He reminds me of like a Hayden Christensen type deal. Uh, yeah, but outside of that, I mean, uh, if I remember, his sister was Thora Birch. 
yeah. uh, one of her first roles did a good job the um his love interest ended up being the uh the chick that um Ray Donovan has an affair with in season two uh I just yeah like he I remember liking him when I was a kid and I watched this and then I watch it back now and he just annoyed me like every single scene he was in but one of the coolest things about this movie is the guy who did Jonathan Binks is actually McGee on NCIS I just want to throw out there that you mentioned Hayden Christensen. He was the paper boy in the mouth in in the mouth of madness. Paper boy anyway. Wow, that yeah. six degrees of Kevin Bacon shit right there. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. I, I'd say probably the other movies I've listed seem more horror adjacent than directly horror to me. I think I think you just for kids horror. I haven't seen The Witches, and I really want to because I like Angelica Houston. It's on Netflix right now, so I need to just sit down and watch it. And I have fond memories of like something wicked this way comes. Oh yeah, good movie. And but I yeah, I think it's funny how far across the gamut there is with kids horror i mean even within series like are you afraid of the dark or um goosebumps episodes can vary wildly with how much they put on is this going to be scary or is this going to be kind of like a fun romp for the kids so i would suggest if you were worried about uh hocus pocus bothering your, ch- your child to definitely preview witches before you like watch it with them because they're Definitely, I think, some more adult scares in the child movie than there, there would have been in a lot of uh, American movies. He's, he's definitely sturdier than that, but I, I worry about like relatives and friends, kids, and stuff like that. So gotcha. I, I think he'll be all right. Um, we'll probably start Are You Afraid of the Dark soon since I got it for like five bucks for the entire series. So. Uh, Such a good so let's, series. Uh, so moving on, uh, just in case you guys weren't sick of meta horror yet, I'm putting Scream on here. I really need to see the sequels. Haven't seen them, but Scream I have fond memories of. Uh, really great cast. Skeet Ulrich at at his best and people from all over the place, Party of Five, etc. None of them severely disappointing us. Uh, my favorite friend, uh, Courtney Cox. And, um, it, it's just, again, a very good, like on the line of comedy and horror, a lot of good meta contextual stuff, but in a very different way than the movies we saw earlier, it really is less about the creation of horror and more about the kind of tropes of slasher movies and how those would actually play out in real life. It's, it's especially funny because it's one of the few slasher movies where you can literally look at scenes and be like, wow, if, if this person did that, did one thing differently, the movie would have ended right here because a person running around with a knife isn't, isn't really the same as Unstoppable Killer Jason. Um, but a, a great cast, a lot of fun, a lot of fun with conventional horror tropes, playing into them, playing against them, and acknowledging them the whole time. And just really an enjoyable movie while also bringing in sort of a different angle of the deconstructionist meta-contextual kind of stuff that 
that was really popping up in the 90s. Wasn't Matthew Lillard just recently uh, trying to get himself into Scream 5? Did anybody else hear that news? I wouldn't be surprised. He's trying to probably get himself into anything. I mean, he was such a good Shaggy, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all for I'm all for more than Matthew Lillard, and I, I mean, I I don't really have much to say about Scream because I I don't know if this is fair to say, Chris, but I would say we've probably spent easily an hour between all of our podcasts talking about Scream at this point. I feel. I have a feeling that I will probably be talking about Scream again tonight, but... <laughs> yep. Hashtag. Wait, not gonna make that joke. I definitely left uh, David Arquette out of this because uh, he's also a lot of fun and somebody I'd like to see in more things. And as for Matthew Lillard, he is he has been shaggy for a while. Casey Kasem said he was a better shaggy than Casey Kasem was. And actually, that was the new goofy 3d scooby-doo movie that my son thought was was pretty decent i was i just could not get into not having matthew lillard or casey Kasem as shaggy it was just disorienting uh, yeah i haven't seen scoob yet kind of want to but really i think actually i think it hit hbo max if i'm not mistaken so it did I may give that a try. You know? If I don't like it, I'll just go back to Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, I I would say as somebody who's seen a lot of Scooby-Doo, of course my son has watched all of the Scooby-Doo because it's all on on that boomerang service that we have. But um, I would say it was a fairly mediocre movie. It had a lot of in-jokes for kind of the parents who grew up with Hanna-Barbera, but... I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Any mentions of Laugh Olympics? There was. I'm trying to remember. There were some video games with marquees that ref- referred to previous series. Nice. 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 I feel like I had something else to say, but I've completely lost it, so... That's alright. You should be used to this by now. <laughs> uh, I, oh, I was just going to say, yeah... Joe, anytime you can like talk about David Arquette, feel free to. Because one time David Arquette liked one post of mine on Facebook about Bone Tomahawk. That gives me hope that one day he's going to listen to one of these podcasts and be like, they're talking about me. So, you know, anytime you want to just throw in David Arquette, be my guest. Because let's, my last movie is Arachnophobia. And it is actually... My second favorite spider movie, because my first favorite spider movie is, of course, Eight-Legged Freaks, which even got its title from Arquette, you know, improving the line on the spot. Um, so he, he, you know, sells that movie so well, playing basically the same character he is in Scream. But, you know, that's a great character. Uh, but to get on to... Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia, again, sort of horror comedy, but still being fairly horror. Uh, spiders. I I love spiders. I mean, in real life, I, I love spiders because they eat the things that tend to bite me. But uh, in in movies, they just, they make great villains. You got like, you know, Kingdom of the Spider and a bunch of 
cheap, low budget spider movies. And uh, Arachnophobia was kind of cool because it's, you know, they did, they had just enough sort of science to give it a believable backbone that these spiders could be real and could be invading the town. So it was, it was definitely not as out there as some creature features can get. It was funny. It was goofy. Um, I like spiders. I think I mentioned that. So I, I don't have much more to say other than that. It was a good solid evil spider movie and who doesn't like a good solid evil spider movie. Well, it's a great movie, but if you're talking about who doesn't like evil spider movies, uh, people who don't like spiders, I would be one of them. It's probably for the nineties, one of like the most realistic scary movies in the fact that like it's, it's not, you know, supernatural. It's not, uh, some kind of disease that could be ending. It's, it's literally just, you know, like a little fucking thing that could be crawling around underneath my computer desk right now, getting ready to bite me on my foot. Uh, is doing that right now. I fucking hate you. <laughs> I'm completely creeped out at this point. I, 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 I don't do well with spiders. I, I'm now questioning my friendship with Joe, uh, since now I find now all these evil things, like being a fan of spiders, it's creeping me the fuck out here. But it's a movie of John Goodman and Jeff Daniels at peak Jeff Daniels status, which was what, maybe a five-year run at most? Well, he, I mean, he, he said a comeback with, um, what was it, Newsroom? You know, and, and more less comedy, more drama stuff as he's gotten older. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. But fuck man, I can't do de- I can't deal with the spiders. This whole talk now has got me a little creeped out. Just Julian Sands was in that too, wasn't he? Yeah, yes he was. It was it was a good it was one of the casts with a lot of those, you know, that guy, like you don't necessarily his name doesn't come to the top of your head, but you've seen him before. And he's a good actor. There was kind of a lot of that, like good actors and good actresses that that are that guy or that girl that you know. <clears throat> but their name might not always be on the tip of your tongue. And this is why you always do the podcast with IMDB up at all times, Joe. So you can get those random references. Always helps us. <laughs> and to distract you from the spiders. God damn it, Joe. <laughs> Now I really wish my cats were in here so I could be like, go hunt some spiders for me. Yeah, I got... That's my... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I got nothing. Go on, Joe. That's that's my whole list. Um, I, as for runners-up, uh, Tremors is obviously an amazing movie, but I came to it super, super late. I mean, I came to a lot of these movies late, like New Nightmare, but... I came to Tremors late and it's an awesome movie, but I, I haven't had a long time to percolate my thoughts for it. And it wasn't sort of one of my nineties favorites. So that, and, um, Blair, Witch, which was a great movie. I think a lot of the impact for that movie for me was they did a sci-fi special. That was a fake newscast that really sold the world. I watched that. Then I saw the movie and, uh, that really like doubled the impact, but also it made me puke. So, you know, probably can't put it on the top 10 if it made me puke in the theater i could watch it on a tv that sci-fi special was 
one of the five greatest ideas for marketing for horror. It just was. All right, you want me to go next, Kat? Um, yeah, I mean, you can go next or we can break this down into part one. What you feel like? When we break it down, we get three parts? Yeah, we can do three parts. All right, guys, this will be the end of part one, episode 21, part one. We'll be back uh, if you're going to watch concurrently in a couple minutes or, you know, whatever. <laughs>